Welcome to the Salt Church Podcast. We're a church that meets in the heart of Wollongong. Come and visit us on Sundays, 10am and 5pm at 275 Kira Street. We'd love to meet you. Hello again. Uh, I'm Michael. If you haven't met me, I didn't introduce myself before, so welcome if you're new with us tonight. Um, before we get into Matthew 22, I just wanted to give you an update on uh, space and growth and, and an exciting development for us here at SALT, uh, and to keep you in the loop what's happening at 10am. So you'd be aware we've been talking for a number of months uh, and longer about uh, how do we fix our space issue at 10am, so we're quite full, our kids' program is, is exploding, uh, we don't have space uh, for more kids and, and so forth. And, and we just want to not have space stop us from growing here at Salt Church. Uh, we've got this vision to make more lifelong disciples, uh, and so we want to keep going with that and praying into that. Uh, and there was a number of options on the table. One of them was uh, we had great discussions with the Illawarra Grammar School, so with TIGS, uh, to move 10am off uh, to TIGS. The principal got back to us this week. Unfortunately, they've said no. Um, they still love us, <laughs> uh, they just don't want to have us in their school and that's uh, the direction of the new principal, uh, so uh, partnering with churches in other ways, not, not in that way of uh, using their facilities on Sunday. So what that means is we are going to be uh, starting a second morning gathering, so a third gathering at SALT, which is very exciting. Uh, uh, we've, we've lots of things that need to happen for that. Uh, There'll be excitement for that, there'll be apprehension for that as we think about serving and how to make that work and teams and all those kind of things, but so good that we can actually get to a point where God has made clear, answered our prayers, here's an option that will enable us to grow, um, particularly at 10 and particularly with our kids' ministry. So uh, that's to give you an update. Uh, do uh, keep praying. We, we're looking like making that change uh, by the end of term one, so up around Easter. Uh, we don't want to do that in the middle of winter. We want to do it well before then. We'd love to do that straight away, but that takes time and prayerful consideration because uh, every week it's actually hurting us uh, to turn people away when we're full and to have our kids' ministries feeling contained. Uh, but we want to you know, take, take people on the journey, do it well. Um, so do be praying for that. Do be praying for 10am as they reflect on these things and changes for them as they who they meet with and gather with each Sunday Uh, but last week I spoke about investment and here is an awesome investment for us at SALT Uh, investing in the kingdom of God this will cost us uh, but what an investment that we want to see uh, God cause to flourish uh, as we pray to him so do be praying for that I'm going to pray to that end now, and I'm also going to pray that we'll focus now on Matthew chapter 22. So let's, let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have a huge heart for the people of Wollongong. Uh, your desire is to see uh, people come to know your Son, the Lord Jesus. Uh, Lord, fill us with a heart uh, to this end. Uh, help us as we make sacrifices uh, with a new gathering and the costs of that. Uh, Lord, thank you for the privilege we have of investing in the kingdom. Uh, And we pray particularly for those at 10am whom that will affect, uh, who will have the joy of that, but also count the cost of that. Uh, Lord, help us now too as we look to your word, 
uh, to hear these words of Jesus, uh, the one who brings eternal life. Uh, Father, help us to hear them clearly. Uh, Help us as we ponder them for our own lives in our own church. And we pray it for Jesus' sake. Amen. So Matthew 22, and here's the question for tonight. What obligation do Christians have towards government? I don't know whether you've thought much about this. Uh, How are we to respond? Uh, What obligation do we have towards those who rule over us uh, in in government? Now, Christians are very divided on this. Some Christians would say, well, the answer is obvious. Uh, We need to submit to government. We need to do what government says. Uh, That's the right Christian thing to do. I had a friend once, uh, he's a uh, a Chinese national, uh, spent some time in Australia, I've now lost contact with him, but he told me in China, the end of every sermon is very predictable. Uh, The end of every sermon, can you guess what is said by the preacher? Doesn't matter what the topic is, doesn't matter what the passage is, obey the government. Uh, Some Christians would say that's the way it should be, Uh, but for others it's, it's, it's actually no, I'm ruled by Jesus, our church, who is the head of our church? It's Jesus. I'm not submitting to government. Um, I submit to God. I'm answerable to God. And so I'll pick and choose uh, how I respond, how I um, obey or disobey the government's orders and laws and so forth. Now you can see massive implications for those two things. Uh, You can see too, as you reflect back on COVID, um, all of that was brought into sharp focus, wasn't it? What do we do when the, the government says to us, these are the restrictions? We had to grapple with that. Uh, as a church, we followed those restrictions, but we kept a, a close eye on it. We, we copped criticism from some Christians that we shouldn't have. That's what we're exploring tonight. Let's, we're going to look at Jesus' answer. But actually, there's a much bigger question in Matthew's Gospel and this chapter... Here it is, who is the man Jesus and how will you respond to him? That's Matthew's aim, that's the sharp end of of this chapter. See, we're in, so open up Matthew 22, have it open there, verse 15. Jesus is nearing his death. It's probably the Tuesday uh, before the Friday when he will be crucified. Uh, And what's the context here? We've got, across the chapter, you've got two questions get fired at Jesus by the religious leaders. Uh, There's three different sects of Judaism. They're religious leaders, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the Herodians. They're all uh, coming at Jesus. And then it finishes with Jesus asking them a question. Uh, What's happened before this? Well, there's there's just mounting opposition against Jesus. Uh, Jesus has stirred the hornet's nest amongst the religious leaders uh, to the point that they want to arrest him. Have a look in verse 46, the chapter before, chapter 21. They looked for a way to arrest him, but they were afraid of the crowd because the people held that he was a prophet. And so what do they do? They turn in verse 15 of chapter 22, they go, okay, well, the Pharisees went out and they laid plans to trap Jesus in his words. Uh, Let's see if we can uh, trap him in what he says. Uh, And there's a whole lot of questions that come. And it's, questions are interesting, aren't they? Some questions you ask to genuinely know, yeah? Other questions you can ask to trap someone. 
You can actually ask a question to make someone feel embarrassed or put them on the spot or go, I've got you, haven't I? So questions are funny like that. Uh, the Pharisees, the religious leaders, are definitely trying to trap Jesus. And it's, it's one of those weird moments when you go, what is going on here? The judge of all the earth has stepped onto the globe and people are judging him and have got him in the dock and are questioning him. Actually, shouldn't it be the other way around? And I think we're going to explore, Jesus has actually got a bigger question for us than the questions that we've got for him. But what's, what's the outcome? Jesus sees straight through them, doesn't he? Uh, Jesus is incredibly impressive like that. He's, it's com- incredibly confronting, isn't it? That Jesus knows our heart, he knows what we're up to, and he knows what they're up to. But what happens, as the questions come, he so beautifully, so masterfully returns serve, doesn't he? With great wisdom, so winsomely. Have a look in verse 22, the, the end result of the first question. When they heard this, they were amazed. And then the next section, there's that ridiculous question that comes about marriage in the resurrection in heaven. Uh, Jesus gives them an answer from the Bible. And look at verse 33. When the crowds heard this, they were astonished at his teaching. And then finally, we get to the end of the chapter and Jesus asks them a question about the Messiah. Who is the Messiah? Whose son is he? And look at verse 46. After he speaks, no one could say a word in reply. And from that day on, no one dared to ask him any more questions. It's just, it's wow, isn't it? It's, it really is astonishing wisdom. It really is impressive authority, knowledge that Jesus brings to these questions. And I think what we're meant to see, here's Matthew saying, that, look, here, let me show you again, here is the Messiah, the Lord of Lords, the King of Kings. Here is God come in the flesh. Look at his wisdom. Uh, Jesus makes this massive claim. He's he's the son of God, he's the Messiah. And yet at every point, he shows himself to fit that claim perfectly. And here's another example. Uh, Think about it with me for a moment. If, If God comes as a man in the flesh, what would you expect him to be like? you'd expect him to be full of superior wisdom, yeah? Full of, full of deep knowledge, uh, profound authority. Uh, people would be amazed at him, walking through debates, seeing through hearts. That's who Jesus is, isn't it? That's exactly who Jesus is. Jesus is extraordinary. And that's, that's the point of this chapter. Here is the Lord, here is the Messiah, here is the King in your midst. And Matthew keeps pointing, pointing us to him and saying, what are you going to do with this extraordinary man? How are you going to respond to him? We'll come back to that, that's the big point of the chapter. But let's, let's dig deeper on that first question and those famous words from Jesus up, up on the screen. Jesus says, give back to Caesar what is Caesar's, and to God, what is God's. Very well-known words from from Jesus. Um, Who's heard those words before, other than the reading tonight? Yeah, Yeah, it's it's just part of our culture, Western kind of culture, because they're words that have dramatically shaped 
Western civilization. Uh, well, there's, there's so much we take for granted with our Western democracy, with, with the way church operates and, and our state and government, the relationship between church and government and state and church. It comes from here. Uh, all of that is, is come from the words of Jesus uh, as he has shaped the way we think to this very day. And question tonight is, what's our responsibility to government? So there's two groups that come together here uh, in verse uh, 15 and 16. The Pharisees come, to come and their disciples and the Herodians come together. Uh, now what's really interesting, they're two groups that normally hate one another. Uh, but they've come together, they've, they've, they've come united because they hate Jesus even more. Uh, can you imagine that? Uh, so who are the Pharisees, who are the Herodians? The Pharisees were against the government of the day. Uh, they, they rightly saw, well, the Roman Empire seems to be oppressing the Jewish people. Uh, so they had no, no patience for the governing authorities um, they didn't think they needed to answer to Rome, but only to God. Um, in fact, they said that Rome was evil and we must resist Rome's rule at every point. Uh, so that's the Pharisees. And then the other group you've got is the, the Herodians and they have the opposite perspective. Uh, they're actually in bed with the government. Their name comes from the ruler Herod. We are the Herodians the supporters uh, of the ruler of the time, and so they are deep supporters of government. And so these two groups come together and they ask this question, verse 17, is it right to pay the imperial tax to Caesar or not? Now, how do you think the Pharisees would answer that? Uh, the Pharisees would say, no, never. You should never um, submit to government, you should never pay that tax um, that's the tax of the pagan emperor. Uh, on the coin is a figure, Caesar or the emperor, and he, if, I, if I submit to him, that will betray my submission to God. In fact, on that coin it said he claims to be the son of God. I can't give myself to him. I can't be part of this monetary system. Um, that's what the Pharisees would have said. Uh, in fact, they would have said, this, this is idolatry to pay tax, to be part of this Roman rule. And so they're completely opposed. And then how would the Herodians answer? They would say, yes, we do need to pay tax. Everyone needs to pay tax because they are our rulers. We support them. And you can see it's the same issue for today, isn't it? Some Christians will say, no, only submit to Jesus. Others will say, no, no, the government is important. Uh, the go- we're there to support the government. We, we need to obey the government. Now, now which way is Jesus going to go? The Pharisees and the Herodians come with this question and it's designed, isn't it, to put Jesus on the horns of a dilemma. Uh, you know what that means? It's, so we're going to put you in a situation where whichever way you go, you're going to condemn yourself. Um, and they're convinced that Jesus uh, is going to condemn himself and they've got that gotcha moment with Jesus. And see, if Jesus says, yes, pay taxes to Rome, 
That's going to be incredibly unpopular, isn't it, with a whole lot of Jewish community, particularly the Pharisees. But they could accuse him, you've sold out. Do you really love God and honour God? You're submitting yourself to a pagan ruler. And so everyone will be against Jesus for that. But if he says, don't pay tax, uh, the Herodians will be happy. Uh, sorry, sorry, if it says, don't pay tax, um, the Herodians will be unhappy and they'll charge him with treason. They'll say, you know, you, uh, you, you claim to submit, well, you're not submitting to the government, you are committing an offence. Um, we'll, we'll, we'll condemn you with treason. And so whatever way Jesus goes, they'll feel like they've got him and they feel like they've trapped Jesus in his own words. But have a look at Jesus' answer in verse 18. Verse 18, But Jesus, knowing their evil intent, said, You hypocrites, why are you trying to trap me? Show me the coin used for paying the tax. And they brought him a denarius, and he asked them, Whose image is this? And whose inscription? Caesar's, they replied. Then he said to them, So give back to Caesar what is Caesar's, and to God what is God's. And when they heard this, verse 22, they were amazed. So they left him and went away. They were amazed because it is amazing. It is an amazing teaching. It is amazing that Jesus has this answer. He's actually come up with a totally different way of thinking about submission to authority, government, submission to God and honouring God. And it's, it's that new playing field, a completely different playing field that we actually have inherited to this day. It's a remarkable insight that actually separates church and state, uh, uh, church and government that we enjoy today. So look at it with me. Look at Jesus' words. He says, give to Caesar what is Caesar's. Well, who is Caesar? Caesar is a pagan ruler. He's the emperor of Rome. He believes himself to be divine. And yet Jesus is saying, you can be a God-honouring person and you still have an obligation to that pagan ruler. Uh, so even though they're not Christian, even though they're not Jewish for their context, pay them what you owe. That's, that's totally legitimate. But incredibly radical for Jesus to be saying this. And notice how Jesus argues. He says, have a look at the image on the coin. It's Caesar's image that's on that coin. Uh, a bit like, um, so there's the coin there. A bit like we've got the image, we used to have the image of the queen, now we're going to have the image of the king. I know you're all super excited about this change to our, to our currency. Um, it's like, it's the emperor's coin, it's his monetary system of government and uh, finance and his whole system of society that he has set up, you owe him, uh, give back to him, it's his image. Uh, what does it mean? It means, well, you at least owe him taxes. Uh, pay your taxes. But I reckon it's more than that. What, what did they owe the Roman government? You could ask, what, what do we owe our government? Well, come, comes to the question, what does, the, what does Rome provide its citizens? 
What does our government provide? Us. Uh, what did Rome provide? Well, Rome provided peace and stability. Uh, Rome provided the, the environment under which a citizen can live freely, can flourish, can trade, can build wealth. That's what Rome created. It enabled citizens to achieve more by cooperation as they enforced peace. Um, Suddenly now people can benefit from one another. Um, Think about even just trade with one another. Trade means there's a deal on the table and I'm going to trust you to keep that deal. Uh, What happens if you don't keep that deal? Who do I go to? Well, you go to Rome because Rome will keep the peace. Rome will enforce the law that actually gives you confidence to trade. Otherwise, why would you build wealth? Why would you take risks and invest if bandits are going to come and steal all your property and no one can do anything about it? So without that government, it actually leaves you to subsistence uh, economy, which is the economy that you just provide for yourself. But that is an impoverished economy. Uh, That is one of isolation, but also one of poverty, as you can't trade and and, uh, cooperate with others to build wealth. Uh, So it's the government that provides this environment, law and order. Uh, Even things like roads. The Romans provided the roads which enable you to trade, to travel, to exchange. Um, Our government provides the roads, the police force, the fire brigade, the ambulance service, our healthcare system. We, we complain about all these things. Why are they there? How do they come? It's because we support, we provide taxes to the government. Uh, we take so much for granted, don't we? we? We expect that when something goes wrong, we ring triple zero, that someone will answer the phone and someone will come out to my home when my, my home is on fire. And you know, they don't even check whether you're paying your taxes. They just come. But they come because been, their tax has enabled them uh, to, to be there, to, to, to fund them. Uh, so Jesus is saying, that is what they provide as a government. Pay what you owe. But notice Jesus goes on to say something much bigger. Give to God what is God's. And you think to yourself, well, hang on, what is God's? Now, Matthew, Matthew doesn't record this for us, but it's, it's, it's in the backdrop of this statement. The Jews he's speaking to believe the Old Testament. Um, some of them only believe the first five books of the Bible. But what's, what's the background? Jesus is hinting on, on Genesis, that humanity has been made by God in a very, very special way. It's been made with his image on it. Uh, Each man, each woman has been made in the image of God. God's fingerprint is on you. Whose image is on you? It's God's image that's on you. And so what's the implication? Give yourself back to God. Uh, What do you owe? You owe God your whole life. He's your creator. It's his image that's the very essence of your being.
the Bible talks about you know, your whole life, your breath, where you live, the fact that you can think and have a conscience, that you have the ability to love and to rule, you have a will. You are made that way because God's made you that way in his image. They're very rich things that God's given us. Uh, so give back to him your whole life because that's whose image you bear. We owe him everything. It's very powerful insight, isn't it? We're talking suddenly about tax and all of a sudden Jesus says, well, what about you? Whose image is on you? Uh, you owe yourself back to God. And it has massive implications for Jesus, doesn't it? We actually owe ourselves to Jesus. Jesus is the one who is God come in the flesh, the Messiah, the King. Massive things. And notice, uh, as we finish up tonight, notice um, what Jesus has done for us. He's, two things, he's freed us um, Let's have a think about the freedom that Jesus brought us. And he's also complicated life if you're a disciple of Jesus. Let me explain those two things. Um, so he's freed us up uh, to create this idea of like a Western democracy where there is that separation between church and state. Uh, before these words from Jesus, fair to say that if you're a religious leader and a political leader, you're one and the same thing. So the ruler of the country is also the leader of the religion and the leader of the country is not only uh, enacting the laws of the country, but they're also uh, uh, making sure that the religion is enacted as well. And so the shape of political life, the shape of religious life, is all caught up, was all caught up, in the ruler, the emperor. Uh, so as a citizen, not only do you pay tax, you also need to submit to the religion of the ruler. Uh, it's called a theocracy. It's the, the rule of God and the political rule are one and the same thing. Um, if you notice with Islam, uh, countries where uh, Islam has is taken is the majority, uh, that, that'll be the political shape. Um, that the, the political leaders will be Islamic, they will rule the country in, in all its different shape and form, and they'll rule religion across the nation as well. Jesus breaks that apart. Jesus says, no, 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 you can actually have those two things completely separated. Um, you can submit to a political leader who is not your religion. Uh, here is the emperor who is not Jewish, not Christian, who is actually pagan. And you should submit to him and you should give to him what you owe. And you can still submit to God because Jesus said, what does Jesus say? My kingdom is not of this world. Um, can you imagine how bad it would be if we were ruled in Australia as a Christian country? One level it sounds fantastic, doesn't it? But it would be awful. Wouldn't it be awful if the political rule and the religious leadership of the church of the nation as a Christian nation, were one and the same thing. The government could use force, could use the sword, to uh, make, to force us to be Christian, to think Christianly, uh, to have a conscience on the things that God wants us to. It would become incredibly oppressive. 
They could use force, they could use jail, they could use fines to make you Christian. How awful would that be? How much does that twist Christianity? Uh, as they, they use force to conform everyone to Christianity. Now, Jesus has freed us from that. Uh, and he said, you can honour the pagan political leader. He has a place for the affairs of this world. Give him what, what you owe him and you can still honour God because Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. So that's a lot to take in. Um, it, it raises the whole issue of two kingdoms. Christians have thought about this for a long time. Uh, the kingdom of man and the kingdom of God, which are not the same thing. Uh, one day they will be. One day the kingdom will be in our midst, in heaven. But at the moment, life is complicated if you're a disciple of Jesus because you're part of the kingdom of man and you're also part of Jesus' kingdom, the spiritual kingdom. Uh, and so that makes life incredibly complex, doesn't it? Sometimes the government will ask you to do things that God says you mustn't do and then you need to disobey. Um, or there are things that God says you must do and they, there's all kinds of complications. But there's lots of times when it's completely appropriate to submit to the government, uh, to pay them what you owe. That is to say, when you become a follower of Jesus, you don't step out of your obligation in the kingdom of man. Uh, as a church, uh, we're not some kind of secret society that the rules don't apply to us. No, no, we still live in the kingdom of man. Uh, we still live under Caesar, so to speak, uh, the rules of Australia. Uh, worth emphasising, because so, down the centuries, some Christians have said, no, 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 we're not part of that. Our kingdom, we're part of Jesus' kingdom. And so we don't have any obligation to government. Uh, we can pretty much do what we want uh, because we live for Jesus. And I just want you to know that the Bible just will not let you get away with that simplistic answer. Two kingdoms, the kingdom of man and the kingdom of heaven. And so there's lots of implications for that, isn't there? There's the implication of simple things like... Uh, like every other organisation, we will obey child protection laws. Uh, we will report. Uh, we will uh, manage our finances in a way that's accountable to the government. We'll present our finances. We'll have them audited. We'll get the tick from the government that our association is legitimate financially and we're not doing anything dodgy. Uh, it relates to, to marriages. Uh, we won't just do what we want. Uh, we'll register them. It'll be in accordance with the law uh, set by the government. So we have an obligation uh, to the kingdom of this world. Well, lots of things to take in tonight. Um, but let me, let me finish with, a, with something that's much bigger than that. Uh, yes, we've seen the remarkable thing that Jesus has done about church and state, two kingdoms. But do you get that? Give to God what is God's. That is huge, isn't it? Uh, that, that the imprint of God, the very image of God is on us. And we owe him everything. Give yourself to him, uh, is, is what Jesus is saying. In fact, if you're a disciple of Jesus, it's actually even more pointed than that. See, what's happening here, Jesus is on his way to the cross. Why is he on his way to the cross 
He's on his way to the cross because the image bearers, the ones who carry the image of God, humanity, haven't lived for God, haven't given themselves. And so Jesus goes and pays the penalty for our rebellion. Uh, Jesus will die a humiliating death so that we can be brought back to God. See, if you're a disciple of Jesus, you're not only made in the image of God, you're bought by the precious blood of Jesus. It's emphasised again, isn't it, that you owe now your life to him. Made in the image of God, bought at a price. And how awful would it be, and this is, this is why we've got that great vision for more disciples, isn't it? For the people of Wollongong, or maybe it's for you, to turn up on that last day bearing the image of your creator and you haven't given your life to him. You haven't given your life to the very one who gave you life. That would be an awful place to be in. But doubly so, how terrible would it be to front the God who sent his son to die for you and you haven't acknowledged the son? You haven't accepted that gift of eternal life, of forgiveness. You paid that no attention. That would be awful. Uh, Jesus says judgment awaits such a person. Let's, let's pray together as we, we, we ponder these things, big things. Let's, let's pray.